Welcome everyone to our first service, our 5pm service, which is my favourite service. I'm biased because my campus students are here, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So for those of you who are not very familiar with me, um, I, uh, my name is Pastor Miranda. I'm one of the pastors here in this church and um, I have the privilege to be pastoring the campus ministry of SIVKL. And I've got something to show you. We are exactly one year old. Yeah. We just turned one year old exactly one week ago on the 8th of um, April. So one year and one week old. And um, I've got to say this, I'm so proud of the people in this ministry. And I'm, I've got to say that it is not about me, you know, it's not about me growing the fruit of this ministry, but I've got to say it's really the sacrifice and the obedience of the people who have really said yes to to the young people, because in this church, we believe in the generations, amen? And because of that, you know, we want to grow them, we want to disciple them, we want to just nurture them. And in case you didn't know, like, you're like, okay, what is YA Campus, right? It is our campus student ministry, and if you are a parent here, or you are sitting here, you're a campus student, and you're looking for a community to hang out with, uh, come and join us on Fridays at 7.30 p.m. We have food together, and what we do is we hang out, we have uh, campus nights, connect group breakouts, and then we do go for outings as well. So it is really my honor to really be here, um, to journey alongside with these really very amazing people. And um, yeah, so I'm going to say this, that um, I don't preach very often. Uh, in case you're wondering, this is uh, probably, I think I'm only scheduled about three, four times or something. Four? Yeah, yes, boss, four times. Okay, so this is my, I think, first time this year. So uh, I, it is a fun thing for me to do that I always look at my Fitbit and look at my heart rate. And do you guys want to know what's my heart rate right now? 138, not kidding. Um, I think I don't need to run a marathon to get this heart rate. All I need to do is just preach. <laughs> and I'll be very, very nervous. But the reason why I say this is because this is a place of privilege. I don't see this as a... It is not a place of period, sorry. But I see this as a place of responsibility. When I stand here on the pulpit to share the word, you know, as I was looking at the 61 people who you came forward and said that I want to commit my life even to this church, to make this my home church, is because I believe you all love the word, amen? This is a church, the Bible, it's a Bible reading church, Bible-based church. So um, I hope that I'll be able to bring a good word to you this evening. And um, yes, last week, Pastor Steph just now, um, maybe some of you walked in late, um, but as you walk in, you know, we actually shared a little bit about what happened last week. Who remembers what happened last week? Easter, yes, Easter, it brings me great pleasure and joy to let you know that we have 53 decisions for Christ. I think Jesus deserves the highest praise here. This is actually across our main services, our vernacular services, our Chinese service, as you can see right here, that's our Chinese service, and this is our BM service. They went to, um, uh, I think they went out to, to a retreat, and they had their own uh, Easter service, and they saw so many decisions for Christ. And right there, you can see these two little kids there. You know, children's ministry, we had over 150 rededications. Children, come on, 12 years old, saying yes to Jesus. And I really believe that, you know, God is really moving in the generations. And, um, and essentially today, my message is centered around decisions. And also for the 61 of you, you said yes to being a member of this church. So these people basically made personal confessions and believed, you know, they believed and invite Jesus even into their lives and say that, yes, I believe that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, my Messiah. And it's not just about confessing, you know. It's not about what happened on Easter. It's not just about what happened when you come out to the altar and say yes to Jesus, but it's what happens after that. 
Amen? So today, this passage, the passage that I'm going to be preaching about is very much centered about that. So it is really a very cardinal part of the book of Luke. You know, we're going to be reading from this passage because we love the word in this house. So I'm going to get everybody to read the word with me. I'm going to move aside so that everybody can see. We're going to read right from the top, so loud that the church next door can hear. Can we do that together? All right, three, two, one, go. And his disciples were with him. He asked them, who do the crowd say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Come on, say it together. God's Messiah. One more time. God's Messiah. Okay, come, let's pray. Father God, I just really want to pray and thank you for this is a day that you have made and we shall rejoice and be glad in it. I believe that you have a good word for us today. And I believe that many, is going to be, many of us here are going to be challenged. Many of us here are going to be moved in our spirit. So God, I just pray even before we jump into the word, may you open up our hearts. It is not a coincidence that we have sung songs like, you know, to be more like Jesus. And I pray, Lord Father, that our hearts be open to receive from you today. In Jesus' name I pray and all God's people say, Amen. Amen. So the title of my sermon today is, Who Do You Say I Am? So this is actually a very pertinent and very important question that was asked to the disciples in their lives. You know, I know some of our campus students here, they are trying to complete their final year project, FYP season, yes. Um, and you know, in this part of Luke, I believe that the disciples were also going through their FYP. They were going through their final year project, so to speak. And they need to answer the only question that matters. Who do you say I am? And I have three points in this message. Who do you say I am? The first one, popular conceptions. Who do the crowd say Jesus is? And the second one, who do you say I am? Is it a personal confession? Who do you say Jesus is? And the third one is a powerful conviction. Who do we become? where we know Jesus. And it's going to be something that we're going to be journeying through. I only have three points, and I feel like the Lord is going to move someone today. So keep your spirits open, and the God, God is truly going to speak. So let's get into our first point. What are the popular conceptions of who do the crowd say Jesus is? So this is my first point here. You know, in Luke 9, verse, uh, chapter, verse 18 to 19, he asked them, who do the crowd say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some, and some said like maybe it was the prophet that rose from the dead from last time, or he could also be in, Jer you know, he could be Jeremiah as well. I think it was actually mentioned in the book of Matthew. So I did a little bit of cross-referencing, and you know, when Jesus started his ministry, the multitudes, the crowds followed him everywhere he went. So his ministry, he's, he's been on earth for about 30 years, and he's, he was only in ministry for about three years or so. And in that three years, he has done many, many things, and I believe that a lot of it had to do with miracles, signs and wonders, and here are a couple of things that was, you know, was documented, and I believe there are more, but it wasn't documented, you know, some were 
uh, uh, documented across different Gospels, right? He turned water into wine in the wedding of Cana. That was the very first one. And then he healed a royal official's son. So basically, when, you're, when he's, someone is sick, he actually healed that person. And he can even calm the storm. Imagine, you know, the weather even listens to him, right? Who can actually have that power? Only Jesus. And then, of course, he rose someone from the dead. Jairus' daughter was rose from the dead. Wow, that's crazy. And of course, feeding the 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, that was the story just before this scripture was actually mentioned. So, you know, the crowd's responses about Jesus showed that people had a lot of different perceptions of, and different ideas of who he is, right? You know, of course, the popular conceptions about Jesus is that he's a miracle worker. He can heal. He can part the Red Sea. He can calm the storm. He can raise people from the dead. And all these things, you know, they, if I notice, if you're looking at a crowd, the crowds were watching Jesus from a distance. They were never close. They all recognized his supernatural abilities. You know, some of us are like that, right? We come to church, we look, you know, we ask for prayer, we see people getting healed, we watch from a distance. But does that move you to believe that he is a healer to you too? You know, think about it. You know, these people, the crowds, they give flattering appraisals about Jesus. He's amazing. He can do this. He could do A. He could do B. And all that kind of things. But none of them recognize that Jesus as the Son of God. They did not recognize Jesus as they should have. You know, people are full of opinions. And if I were to bring it closer to home today, fast forward over 2,000 years later, now in 2023, it is still the same. People still have varying opinions of who Jesus is because of the varied encounters that they have, whether you're Christian or non-Christians alike. Some way or another, even if you're here for the first time, and this, it could be you today, the first time that you're hearing, who is this Jesus? You know, when you think about this name, this is a name, Jesus is a name, one of the most popularly discussed names and also revealed names in the world. There is so much speculation of who is Jesus. You know, there's something weighty about this name that everyone just can't stop talking about him. Even if you're not a Christian, you can't run away. That somehow, someone's going to talk to you about who is this Jesus, you know, in your lifetime. His identity, 2,000 years later, right here, right now, is expressed in so many manner. And you can see it really, really just like, you know, an impression of him in so many things that we see in our lives. The very first one that I could think of, art and literature. Just now, when you came in, Yeshua the musical, come on. You know, his life has been turned into a musical. And if you flash back, if you're old enough, maybe you're a boomer or something, you know, in 1971, there was actually a really very famous West End musical that was created just about him, Jesus Christ Superstar. Anyone heard about that? Jesus Christ Superstar. It was in 1971, and it was one of the longest-running West End musicals in the world. I think it ran for about eight years before it was overtaken by, by cats or something like that. Because there is such a pertinent message, and people are curious about who is this Jesus. And of course, he's also talked about in politics. Jesus' message of love, compassion, justice also had an impact in politics. Today, you know, when you look back in history, 
Martin Luther Jr., you know, he fought for slavery rights. You know, these are, you know, things that were actually inspired by his faith, that he believed that there should be equality. And of course, like Jimmy Carter, U.S. president that was once a president in the U.S., and he'd drawn a lot of his teachings um, from Jesus and how he led the country because of the, of the advocate for social justice and equality. And of course, today, music, right? Songs and hymns, you know, we were just talking about it last week, you know. Different people have different expressions of music. You know, last week we sang My Redeemer Lives. I think it almost became like a little funny thing, you know, like the, the older generation got so excited when we, re when we literally redeemed it back. You know, we sang the song, we know the moves and all that kind of things. And then, of course, the younger people have a very different expression of music to express who Jesus is. And of course, from traditional songs from Amazing Grace to, of course, something that's more modern, and there are people who even rap about Jesus. But the reality of it is, not every song truly reflects who he really is, right? And of course, in education as well, Jesus' teachings have also had an impact on education with many schools, many universities, follow, you know, and incorporate Christian principles into their curriculum. And an interesting fact, in case you didn't know, one of the elite universities in the US, Harvard University, in Latin, what it means even in their motto, it means truth for Christ and the church. Wow, you know how powerful is that? Because the foundation of education actually came from the teachings of Christ. And of course, some people see him as someone who is a good teacher. He gives good moral values. And pe people, you know, like reflect Jesus Christ in their life because he gives good advice. You know, some people choose to listen to podcasts, uh, watch a talk show, come to church maybe because you want to hear something that will enrich your life. A little bit of self-help help is needed even in this crazy little world we live in, right? So again, who do the crowd say he is? Is he a god? Is he a moral teacher? A historical figure, maybe? Because different religions see Jesus differently. Or is he even a cuss word? Hey, interesting, right? You know, like, no other, so to speak, gods are being used as a cuss word except for Jesus. And I honestly wonder why. And furthermore, I was just looking at this. this it might be a little bit small, but I can actually show you a little bit that this was actually a survey that was actually done uh, across the global, um, the global survey where they interviewed 13-year-olds to 17-year-olds. I think there are a couple of them here today from Narrow Street, right? And um, in this survey, they interviewed about 23,000 youth and then about, about 1,000 youth are actually from Malaysia. And I find the data here really very interesting. Of course, thankfully, at least uh, almost half of them think that Jesus is, um, he offers hope to people, he cares about people. But the one very um, thing that really moved me was actually the middle one where it says, I can have a personal relationship with him. Only about 23% actually say yes. That bugged me a little bit. I was wondering like, these young people, who do they really see Jesus is? If they don't think, the 80% of them, if they don't think that Jesus can be someone that they can have a personal relationship with, Wow. You know, when I think about our faith, sometimes when we walk into this place, for example, you come to a church, and um, you know, maybe some of you here, you might be visiting us, uh, you've been coming here for a while, you don't know who Jesus is, 
Or maybe you're still kind of trying to find out, you know, if this place is for you. You walked into this room, you see a room full of people. And just now when we were worshipping, you know, you see people lifting up their hands. You see different kinds of expressions of worship. Some people could be just standing there and there's no expressions at all. But then I remember last week, it was during Easter, I was sitting right in front and um, uh, I was sitting next to this girl who recently accepted Jesus into her life about two, three weeks ago. And I remember she sat next to me and she told me this, that, you know, uh, thank you, Pastor, for sitting next to me because I, I get a little bit nervous because every time when I listen to a worship song, I will cry. <laughs> and I was like, wow, you know, I believe that, you know, she was moved to tears because of her discovery of who this person is in her life. But that dawned upon me and it got me thinking as well. She's first moved to tears, but my question is, all my prayer is for her is, would she be fully moved to follow Jesus? Because you can be moved to tears, but you're not moved to do anything with your life. So it all depends on the next point, which leads me to my next point. You know, who is Jesus, right? Who do you say I am? Is it a personal confession? Who do you say he is? And I want to read from even this scripture right now. It's a little bit small, so I'm going to move aside. I hope you can see this. Let's read from Mark 8 together. Three, two, one. The Pharisee questioned Jesus and wanted to test him and ask for a sign from heaven. Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to it. And then in Luke 9, this represents Peter and the disciples. One more time. Three, two, one. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Come on, say it again. God's Messiah. Okay, so let's do a little bit of a study here and do a bit of a comparison between these two people, right? So the Pharisees were teachers of the law and they were merely hung up about following instructions and chasing miracles. They kept doubting and asking for signs. And I was asking the Lord, what do signs mean in today's context? Asking for signs means you want to look for something to see, lah, right? And to maybe it could be to impress you, to satisfy your own wants, or maybe to even satisfy your own needs. You can read every book you want, listen to every podcast you want, watch every show on earth that tells you about Jesus. You can know all about him and be great in your knowledge about Jesus without having a relationship with him. You know, when we do that and always ask for signs, he's being treated like a thing and not a person. He could be a philosopher or something that you study about. He could be something, something that you spectate in church. He can be belittled into something where he is as good as what the worship set would be in the church. If the song not nice, Jesus is not amazing, law, right? If the preacher today so ta so bad, then Jesus is not amazing. Lah. <laughs> we might be laughing. Or maybe today the coffee a bit too bitter. Or this church, ah, yeah, Jesus is not very amazing. Lah. He's just a sign to you. He's just a sign you want to see. Is he just a thing you want to watch? You want to spectate? Or is he truly someone you love? If it doesn't satisfy me or feed me, I don't believe it. If he's just a thing, be careful because he's not a thing. He's a person. You know, let's do a cross-reference to the book of John from the same passage just right after that. 
you know, I'm going to read this. Jesus answered, to, answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. And I love this part. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, which is Jesus, because God the Father has set his seal on him. I love this scripture because Peter, on behalf of the disciples, personally confessed that, yes, Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. It is by divine revelation that he recognized who he truly is. It was by Peter's confession that Jesus substantiates his faith. When Jesus asked his disciples who they believed him to be, Peter boldly and declared and said that he is the Messiah. Peter's confession is significant because it demonstrates his understanding of Jesus' true identity and his faith in him as the Lord and Saviour. His confession was a divine revelation of who God is to him. You know the word loaves? Loaves, right? When you think about loaves, you think about food, correct? And it signifies food because it signifies daily needs. Things that you need, it could be a roof over your head, it could be the food that you eat, it could be the job that you need to hold on to, it could be the relationships that you need, a daily need. And loaves also signifies the bread of life, the bread of life that represents Jesus, which is the Word of God. And because of that, because the disciples ate the loaves, that is the bread of life, they were filled. Wow. They were not just filled physically. They were not physically full, you know. It's not just that. They were satisfied in abundance because they pursued the food that does not perish. They pursued the, the food that the world cannot give them, but they worked for the food that endured to eternal life. That is the Word of God. Why is it so essential for us as Christians to know the bread of life, which is the Word of God? Because the loaves signifies intimacy. You know, when you think about food, right? When you eat, usually you eat in communion with people. It is in moments where you have meals with people that you build intimate relationships. It is through eating and spending time in love, relationship grows. So how can this be done practically today, right? And um, I thought I wanted to show you something. This was yesterday. Young adults together, I think. Oh, okay, I just woke them up. I hope no one went microsleep just now. This was young adults together. It was a combination of the campus students and young adults coming together for our young adults together night. And um, we did a little bit of a fun survey, right, Pastor Isaac? And um, I wanted to expose them a little bit. Can I? Can I? Okay. Um, so some of the results I thought was really very interesting because one of the questions that we asked them was, what is your top criteria of choosing a church? Yeah, okay, for those people who actually just accepted uh, your membership here, you know turning back, okay? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so one of the highest scored survey or results was actually the word must be biblical, true to text, and relevant. And that sounds like S-I-B-K-L, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, um, um, and, and I thought that was very interesting. And then the second question, or rather, I think it was one of the last questions, was this one. 
top way I grow in Christ. And look, man, look at the results. I'm going to hold these guys accountable. 69 of them actually say, read my Bible and understand the Word. Wow, okay. Uh, those cheering already, make sure you read your Bible, okay? So, it is true that in order for you to actually want to know God, you need to read your Bible and get to know the Word. And I'm so proud of the young adults and also the campus students because that was the highest scoring results. Thank God, you know, Pastor Isaac, maybe we have arrived, Pastor Aaron, because <laughs> something like that. And um, so this year, as a church, we're encouraging all our members, especially if you're in a cell, to jump onto a Bible reading plan. So yeah, so the young adults and the campus students are doing a Bible reading together. And we're now at week seven. Hopefully, um, we are still on track together. You know, because I believe that when you read the Bible, you feed on the Word, you know the heart of God. That's how you get to know God. And we want to talk about worship encounters as well, right? All these encounters happen when you spend time with Him. And all this can happen when you come to a prayer altar. You know, we are a praying church. Come on, we have a really amazing pastor, Pastor Lee who prays so, so much. And he's really just like, led the church to a place where, you know, they are, whether you want to do an online one or a physical one, of course, um, I'm, I'm in, introducing the, the Tuesday night one because that's the one that the young adults and campus students anchor. On the Tuesday night, when we come together, it is those moments when we spend time with Him. You know, these moments are the revelations of who Jesus is gets revealed to us through constant communion with Him. So Jesus asked His disciples who they believed Him to be. Similarly, in this essence for us, you know, Christians to understand and acknowledge Jesus' identity as the Son of God and Saviour of the world. So without recognising His true nature, we cannot fully understand the significance of His life, His death, and His resurrection. So I've got a question to ask every single one of us here. What is that one truth in the Bible that anchors you? Maybe some of us haven't been thinking about that for a long time, but we have just entered into April, so it's still not too bad you know, still um, just kind of slowly moving into the second quarter of the year. And if you haven't started your Bible reading plan, feel free to come and jump on board. So what is that one truth in the Bible that anchors you? For me, this passage has been speaking to me a lot lately. John 8. You know, John 8, 31, verse, uh, verse 31 to 32, it says here, Jesus said, you hold to my teaching. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You know, sometimes we only read John chapter 8, verse 32. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But actually, you need to read it in context. You need to hold on to his teachings. Then only you are truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What does no mean? No means ginosko, even in this, in this context of scripture. It means experiential knowledge, not merely the accumulation of known facts. And Ginosko is not about just head knowledge, but it is more than that. It stems from a place of intimacy. You may intellectually know some truth, but you don't really know the experiential part of it until you surrender and obey. And I really like what Charles, uh, you know, Charles Swindle actually said this year. It says that refers to the intelligence, intelligent comprehension with an emphasis on the process or act of knowing. Knowing and obeying is inseparable. That hit me really hard. In the upper room, Jesus placed great emphasis on his followers, knowing the mind of God, so that they might become integral 
to his redemptive plan. You know, I, I thought it was really very powerful because I was also reminded that, you know, sometimes people do not understand the Bible because they do not believe that it is true. Or at least they do not believe that all parts of it is true. Others are unwilling to obey it because they do not know Ginosko it. I was led to recently, uh, I saw this uh, clip online by this, uh, uh, this Singapore uh, YouTube influencer. Not sure how many of you know who she is, but she recently actually um, wrote a video out. She doesn't usually do this, but she actually talked about her faith. Her name is Annette Lee. And recently, she did this video to talk about why she almost left Christianity, but she kept her faith. You know, her, her journey may be very relatable to some of you, especially if you were born in a Christian family. Her life is that, you know, she was born in a Christian family and she was brought to the church as a baby and she is forced to grow up there. It is not by choice that she became a Christian. And along the journey, she suffered like church hurts, feeling lack of freedom, and also was not given the space to ask any questions at all. However, because of that, she felt that she wanted to find out the truth for herself. And it all started by questioning, just like Peter, that she drew herself closer to God. Because asking questions is the essence of building a relationship of intimacy with a person. Just like how when you first started dating, right? You want to get to know a person, you can ask questions, right? You gotta ask, uh, what do you like? What are your values? You know, yesterday we were talking about it yesterday. You know, you need to ask questions, talk, so that you can get to know a person, ginosko. So even though for her faith, she's never had a burning bush moment, God didn't fall down from the sky and talk to her, but it is a gradual and consistent seeking and not letting go of wanting to pound heaven's door to ask God for the truth that helped her in her faith. And it all became personal. It is consistent and it is personal. And I really like this phrase that she put even in her video. She said, if you shut off every other opinion, everything else you've read online, everything else you've seen, and just study and, and, and try to discover things on your own, and if people around you weren't thinking a certain way or treating you a certain way, you and God, just you and God, will you still believe Him? Would you? If there's nobody else in this world and someone asks you this question, who is Jesus to you? How would you answer that? Is he your saviour? Think about it. Master? Lord? Your peace? Your provider? King? counsellor? He's the way? He's the mediator? Or is he just someone convenient in your life? Pause and reflect. Can you live without him? Live as if you need him every day. If he is who you claim he is, take a good look at the way you live your life right now. How are you treating him? And where is he in your priority list in your life? Which brings me to my third point. When you truly have a personal confession of who Jesus is in your life, you will have powerful convictions. Who we become when we know Jesus. I love this scripture here in Matthew 16 verse 17 to 19. It says, Jesus replied, 
Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for he, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, not signs, you know, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whoever you bind, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loose in heaven. It is upon one's personal confession. After Peter confessed, Jesus affirmed his identity. Peter, you are the rock. When one has a firm foundation like a rock, then we are ready to receive a greater revelation of our true mission. Where are you at in this? Because you will never open the keys of heaven if you don't know who, who Jesus is. The key to the kingdom of heaven is given to you, a radical kingdom mission because you know who you are truly following. And that radical mission is the Great Commission. Because nothing can shake the person's identity when their hearts are anchored towards the ultimate truth. And I want to read from this scripture here. You know, we know this, you know, the next passage at verse 22 to 23, it says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And that's on Easter, which just happened just last week. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow him. You know what's pertinent about this passage? This was actually shared in private. If you want to hear the heart of God, you need to be near Him. He does, all, he does not share this vision or mission to a crowd. He shares this mission and vision to people who are near Him and do know that this statement is not for everyone because if you do not truly know Him, you will not follow Him. He's speaking to the church today. Whenever we come to church, it is like a picture of God speaking to many Peter's in this house. He's whispering to you. And I feel in my heart of hearts today that God is whispering a radical kingdom mission to some of you here today. Open up your ears to listen. That He's speaking to you, revealing to you your personal mission for a collective calling to win the kingdom of God, which is the Great Commission. Our personal confession of Jesus as Messiah is not just a statement of belief, but it is a commitment to follow Him. If he's not worthy to you, you will not deny yourself, you will not pick up your cross, and you will not follow him. You know, you wouldn't deny yourself from the things of the world. The loaves that you eat will always be the loaves of the world. You will always be the ones that would go for the loaves that will perish. Why not go for the loaf that will give you eternal life? What does denying ourselves practically look like, you know? I might be speaking to some of you here as I was praying these are words that came to me. You may have to deny a high-paying job so that you can honour your God and your marriage and your children. You may have to deny yourself of a business deal so that your business stays clean and honours God. You may have to deny yourself of the idea of saving money, I'm speaking to young people, and sharing a room with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, but honouring your purity. Maybe, you need to deny yourself of a relationship that you think that is good for you, but it does not honour God as your first. Perhaps for some of you, you may need to deny yourself of the comfort of your future, but walk in faith 
even though it's going to cost you more, longer time to wait for your reward. Does this speak to someone here today? The cost of following Jesus is only powerful if you know who Jesus is because it is anchored upon a rock with a strong foundation. I'm going to end here by sharing my own, what I call a powerful conviction. So I graduated from, with a degree of accounting in Australia, and um, I got my PR there. I kind of worked hard for it and um, spent quite a bit of money to actually get that PR. But because circumstances actually led me to come home after one year of working overseas, I was working in a pretty decent, reputable accounting firm, one of the big fours, and I was doing quite well until I felt led by the Lord to leave my job. I struggled to let go of my career, um, the salary that I was earning, the corporate exposure. At the time, it was also the same year, that was 2012, that my PR in Australia was going to expire. So I was also open to the option of going back to Australia. And in that same year, 2012, I went for a mission trip in Sabah. Any Sabahans here? Yeah? I went for a mission trip in Sabah. And um, something radical happened because I went there to minister to the youth, the young people, the natives in East Malaysia. And on my way back on the plane, one of my team members who don't know my story, I never told her this, that she just had to say this. She didn't know I was on a crossroad whether I wanted to leave the country because I was actually thinking about going back to Australia. She said this out of the blue, sitting next to me on the plane and said, Miranda, I don't know why, I don't know what I'm saying, but I just felt the Lord wanted me to tell you that your place is here in Malaysia. I was stunned and um, later in that same year, um, during one of the altar calls, this was a couple of months later, it happened in a church service where there was a call for people to answer to a full-time calling. As in, whether do you have a calling full-time to come and serve God? And they were, we were asked to come forward. And I was one of the last few to walk out because deep down inside, I never felt that I had a calling full-time. I just liked serving God. And um, because I was actually lost in life with my career and all, so I thought, no harm lah, just come out only and just pray lah. Who knows what God is going to say, right? And I remembered of all people, Pastor Liju, you're the one who prayed for me. Uh, she came forward and all I remember she said, and she whispered to me because, you know, there were so many people in front. And she just said, I just felt that the Lord wants to tell you this. God is pleased with what you did. And I literally just broke down because no one actually knew four months ago, I decided to let go of my PR in Australia. Uh, that cost me money. Uh, cost me a dream, cost me a lot of stuff, a lot of explaining to my parents. Um, and um, the reality of it is that I knew God had a plan for me in Malaysia. I answered the call to come home full-time, to come full-time as Pasalichu's personal assistant. And I remember, funnily, I remember someone putting his, her, you know, her arms around me and said this, you sure uh, you want to work with Pasalichu? <laughs> Uh, but honestly, when there is a powerful conviction, nothing shakes that. It was not easy. Not because Pasalichu is not easy. Yeah? <laughs> I better uh, save myself here. I struggled because I struggled with my identity, my career. I was being called 
Pastor Lee Choo's secretary. Um, as a degree graduate, I wrestled so much with my identity that I was photocopying papers. I was writing people's name on attendance sheets. I was preparing sermon slides. I struggled to explain to my parents because it was tough for my parents to embrace my choice of career because they didn't know Jesus then. They're not believers. And I was so afraid that my parents would be not proud of me. It was a journey. Eventually, I, I was given a lot of opportunities to serve, not because I was good, because I believed this church believed in the young. I anchored events. I learned about leadership. I learned about what task equals cast mean. When you do something, you come here to grow your character. Anyone can repeat that with me? Character, attitude, skills, and knowledge. I grew to become a different person. I was even, I felt like I was donkey given an opportunity to speak on ch in church on my very first year working in SIBKL on this same pulpit in 2013. It was unexpected. I saw myself growing, finding meaning in what I do, even though I had to deny a lot of things the world could offer me. Even in moments when I feared that when I was offered the role as a pastor, I'm going to share with you something very silly. I had an irrational fear that I would never get married. <laughs> Which guy want to marry Pastor Wolf? If you can prove me wrong, come and talk to me, okay? So, <laughs> I was like, huh? Pastor Wolf want to marry Wolf? And I know Pastor Richu knows that struggle that many times when she asked me, do you feel like you have a call to step into a pastoral? I was like, no, I want to get married, lah, Pastor. I want to get married, you know? I wrestled that question, deny, struggle with God, and really carried the conviction to say yes all the days of my life. I don't take pride in this, you know, decision that I made, but I know that only by knowing God in my own personal confession, that will give me a powerful conviction to do the things that normal people don't do. There's no normal people here in this house, amen? We are abnormal, crazy people who would have a powerful conviction to do crazy things for God. And this decision didn't just happen overnight. I thought, I know it's about, you know, 6.30 already and I'm running, um, you know, running short of time, but is it okay if I share a little bit more? How did God walk me through this journey? What was that journey like? It all didn't happen overnight. Let me share with you my encounter. During my first year working in church in 2013, I visited this place called Bakalalan. That's in Sarawak. Sarawakians in the house. Woo! Okay. There is such an amazing anointing in the East Malaysia, man. You like, every time I go Sabah, something happens to me. I go Sarawak, then something happens to me. Uh, maybe you only encounter, please go there, okay? <laughs> you know, during my first year, I went to Bakalalan where the local East Malaysian tribe, the Lumbawangs, reside. It is actually the place where revival broke out in 1984. It's all recorded. It's all in history. Go and read about it. I had an encounter there. This was a time where I met this lady called Ibu Maria. She was one of the evil revivalists there that actually prayed for the encounter of revival in the land. And she gave me a Lumbawang name. She called me Inang. It means, she told me it meant precious daughter or something like that. And um, six years later, before I stepped into the new, my new role as a pastor, I went back there again, 2019, as you can see in that picture. She didn't age, right? Actually, both of us did age, huh? <laughs> I visited the mothers, the Ibu Ibu revivalists. They prayed for me. And I was reminded of the stories of the toil and the sweat and the tears of the missionaries that came in 1928. 
you know, Hudson Southwell, Kerry Tolley, Frank Davidson. If you want to know the history of SIBKL, you know, um, commercial break here, go to DNAT, talk to Pastor Kim, find out more about the history of SIBKL. It was through the sweat and tears and, and all the hard work, the heavy price that, were, that was actually paid by all these missionaries because they were sold out to believe that this generation of Lumbawangs had hope. They were a dying tribe, just 10,000 of them. They could have perished by, you know, headhunting each other, drinking toddy and killing themselves. And a local Lumbawang, Agong Bangao, this is his wife here in the next picture. The one in white, that is Ibu Bulan. Her husband who has already passed away, he was a simple man who climbed Mount Murut, a mountain in Bakalalan itself, every, almost every day. I don't know if he did it every day, but often enough to pray for revival for his tribe. And it broke out almost half a century ago. There were seeds of sacrifice, obedience made in order for a revival to break out. It was radical because they had a powerful conviction that there is hope in this next generation of Lumbawangs and I believe in this nation as well. It takes an abnormal decision to spark a supernatural outcome. I remember the Ibus were hugging me before I left and especially the one in orange right, on the, right at the left here. Her name, incidentally, is also Ibu Inang. She hugged me and I remember she said this, whatever you do, she was crying and wailing, just follow the light. Following the light means follow Jesus. I will never forget that moment because it was an exchange of a passing of a revival ember to the next generation. I'm the next generation. She was the generation before that experienced the revival fire of ember. An ember in me fired up again. I found a powerful conviction. I want to give my life to serve God, my nation, and my generation. If not me, then who? If not now, then when? This year marks my 10th year working in SIBKL, serving God full-time. Still very single, <laughs> but it doesn't make me less of a woman, less of a person, because I made the call to walk into a radical mission that God has given to me, and my life is full and filled. I wake up every day feeling purposeful. It's, is it easy? No, it's not. Hardly slept at night because I had to prepare for sermon today and preparing for one camp and all that kind of crazy things. I think Pastor Isaac and Pastor Aaron knows that. We barely slept, but we believed in the next generation. I wake up every day feeling purposeful. That's what denying myself, taking up that cross and following Him means. He's the bread of life to me. Because for me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Even though it took dying to survive, I never felt so much alive. Friends, church, if you don't have a testimony, you have not lived. Can I say that? <laughs> this is an incident that the revelation of Jesus radically changed my life. I believed in it. I chose life. I chose the decision and the ways that people would not typically choose. But time and time again, when I chose this radical mission, I look back. You know, the Word of God says that, yes, 
you may die. But three days again, remember Easter, you, you will rise again. And what I can share here is that I've never felt so much alive. And along that journey, my parents, who were not Christians, accepted the Lord. And that is the fruit of that labour that I believe that was worth it. Is there a radical mission that God is calling you into? A mission to save people around you? Your generation, your workplace, your campus, your family even. That's your mission. That radical mission that you need to take because that is who we are called to be. To fulfil the Great Commission. You know, Revelation 12 verse 11 says that they have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony for they love not their lives even unto death. I want to speak to young people today. You know, I was... There's this seed of revival that has been planted in this land for you to claim, young people. If you are 30 years old and below here, I believe that there is a calling that God has called for you to claim in this land because our nation, Malaysia, carries a seed of revival. The Lord has called our nation to the next generation where He is calling to spread the embers and redig the ancient wells of revival. I want to invite you to come and join me here. I just felt like I needed to do this, that there is a tribal gathering happening in Miri, you know, from 5th to 7th of October. We are coming together to come and catch the ember of revival because it starts from the young and we need people to have a powerful conviction to say yes to God. And if you want to volunteer, the details are there or you can always come and talk to me and come and catch the spirit because you will meet these fathers and, re- and mothers of revival that has experienced the seed of revival in East Malaysia. God is calling many Peters to rise up because you are the church and the church is the hope of this nation. You know, there is an even better promise because in the cross, there may be suffering, but in the resurrection, we experience true living. So who do you say I am? By popular conceptions, who do the crowd say he is? What's your personal confession? Who do you say Jesus is? And do you have a powerful conviction to examine your life that who have you become when you follow Jesus and when you know Jesus. I'm going to close right now. I know we're running a bit ahead of, uh, ahead of time already. And I want to just get all of us to stand and just sing this really very powerful song, More Like Jesus. And I'm going to open the altar. If you need to go, you can go. But I felt there is a spirit that God is calling to some of you to come and respond. Who is Jesus? The first call, Who is Jesus to you? I sense in my spirit that God is moving you to do something, to make a radical change and take a radical mission in your life, to step out and ask God for strength. I just felt like I want the altar to open and you feel like the Lord is calling you. He's nudging you in your spirit even right now to make a decision that is radical, to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Him. Come forward and our pastors and leaders are going to pray for you to really substantiate that belief that you have of Jesus. The second group of people that I want to pray for, I just felt very stirred to do this. If you have a full-time calling, now, later, come and reaffirm that decision and be prayed for. Come forward 
and be prayed for. And of course, the third group of people, you've never accepted Jesus into your life. You only know about the popular convictions of other people. Today, I want you to make that personal confession to accept Jesus in your heart. Father God, we just really want to pray and thank you for your word this evening. I believe many are still being moved. Many are still being challenged. Many of you are being spoken to. And I pray that even in this altar, in this presence of the Lord, that you are moved to be changed. You are moved to be transformed. Because you don't live by popular conceptions of Jesus, but you live by a personal confession of who He is in your life. And because of your personal confession, you have a powerful conviction. And this is the church, the church that the Lord has built upon a rock. A church that is called to be the answer to a broken world because there is a dying world dying to know who you are, Lord. And God, may you use us. Use us as a church. Call upon us a radical mission that we will not say no to you, but we will say yes because of who you are in our lives, God. Lord, we thank you. And we just really want to commit even today's service, even as ministry is still going on. I pray for the church even right now. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In Jesus' most precious name and all God's people say, Amen. Why don't you give a big shout of praise to Jesus because he deserves everything. Take everything, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for joining us for service. If you're here for the very first time or second time, you want to get to know us better, feel free to head on outside to the Coffee Connect and say hi to someone and head on downstairs to the hospitality lounge as well. We would love to say hello to you. Thank you for so much for making time to be in the house of God. And I pray that you're blessed in Jesus' name. Amen.